This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 320, and I am excited to have Amanda Huza on the program. She is the principal of Equality Charter School. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeffro. I'm so excited to be on. Well, I am excited to talk with you because you're doing amazing things, and we have a unique situation for me where you are a principal of an independent charter school that's not affiliated with the New York Department of Education. And many charter schools around the country are in that type of a situation. And so, and there are others like the charter schools that I supervise in my district, where they are very much part of our district, even though they are separate. And it's kind of a weird relationship, but you're like independent out there on your own. Can you tell us a little bit about Equality Charter School before we get too far going? Absolutely. Um, So as you said, we're an independent charter school. Uh, We serve approximately 630 middle school and high school students in the Bronx. I'm actually the principal of our middle school, which is a six through eight. And then we have a nine through 12 uh, campus. And our middle school has the unique experience of being able to share space inside of a New York City uh, Department of Education building with two uh, other wonderful partner schools, and we try to collaborate with them. But like you said, we're, for the most part, on our own. So we understand the unique responsibility and freedoms that that comes with in terms of being able to decide what's in the best interest of our, our scholars. But we also know how isolating that can be for our teachers in terms of their professional development and growth. Yeah, and isolation is a big issue. It's something that I talk about all the time here on the podcast. It's why I started the mastermind that I have for school principals. And that's something that is so important for you to not be isolated and to find a way to to combat that because it can be very challenging. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of providing professional development to your people and and how that looks, because it's very easy to to get overwhelmed with that. And when you bring new people on. So you have a way that you systematize it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So currently at our middle school, we have 27 teachers, nine within our humanities department, seven in our math department, six in our science department, and then we have four electives teachers. And of those 27, 50% 
of those teachers either started their career with us or came to us with two or less years of teaching experience. So we understand how important it is for us to be able to accelerate their growth so that one, they want to stay within the profession and two, that they can feel successful enough that they'll, uh, you know, want to take risks to be able to improve and increase student achievement. And so the work that we, you know, do around that is really data-based. The same way we push our teachers to analyze data to decide the best, you know, next steps for their students, we look at data as a prof- as the leadership team at the end of each year, whether there's observation data, uh, growth that our teachers have made on their professional development support plans, survey data from teachers, of course, end of year evaluations. And then we also are looking at scholar data, um, our report card data, the um, interim assessment growth that our scholars make, um, social emotional screeners, and um, whatever data we happen to have available to us over the summer from our, the New York State exams. And with that, we're really trying to think about what is it that our teachers need? How do we best serve them by differentiating the support that we're providing to them? And how are we making sure that we're building mastery around specific, uh, you know, teaching moves and, and pedagogical practices that we want to be able to see in our classrooms? And so we've always had this system. This is our 11th year as a school. And we've always had a system around providing opportunities for our teachers to come in in August and really uh, engage in, you know, one to two day uh, topics so we can dig deeply and we can give them the opportunity to participate in those professional development opportunities as learners. We want them to really understand the, the conceptual, you know, level of the practices that are going to help them in the classroom. And then we've always had a practice of, you know, the focus on peer observations. And we've been able to take the work that we started as a school on um, that our, our founder, executive director, Caitlin Frankel, started in our school and bring that into the 21st century uh, by using video as an opportunity to allow teachers to see one another's practice without having to give up of their prep time when they're in the building. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of those things that you mentioned. And I want to go first to that idea of the database uh, professional development and what that observational data looks like that you're talking about. So what I have experienced with that is that we looked in one school or as a principal, we looked for uh, opportunities to see the teachers, uh, their rates of engagement, the types of questions they were asking, the types of feedback they were getting. And then we tracked all that and then analyzed that kind of data. What does it look like for the data that you're collecting from observations of teachers specifically? Uh, Absolutely. So a lot of our work is grounded in the Danielson framework, which we use as part of our evaluation system. Not all of the 20 plus components, but we do focus on 10. We feel that if our teachers have, you know, these 10, that they're in good shape and then we can grow their practice from there. But we want them to be able to create rich cultures of learning. Uh, We understand the importance of, you know, routines and procedures in setting that academic learning environment, the importance of making sure that our teachers are looking for ways to use logical consequences in the classroom. We're a school that believes in positive behavior intervention supports. Um, We want to reinforce the positive behavior and we want to use learning consequences as a tool. So thinking about those various components, we're really, you know, looking for the moves that teachers can make so we can provide those examples and non-examples within each one of those components of the Danielson rubric. 
And then in thinking about the opportunities that we have to be inside of classrooms, we use informal observation um, on a weekly basis. Uh, We have an open door policy at our school. So our teachers know that, you know, I could be in a classroom at any point to check in with a scholar to help run a small group and or to look for these different proficiencies, you know, not just, you know, are our teachers creating really rich, higher order thinking questions, but are they using, you know, wait time in the classroom uh, to make sure that scholars have an opportunity to access those questions? You know, do they have those scaffolding questions in their back pocket if the question proved itself too rigorous? And how do they continue to support, uh, you know, kids to get there without, you know, spoon feeding answers and, and, you know, taking away the level of rigor? So depending on the component that we're focusing on, myself, my wonderful instructional leadership team, which includes my department heads uh, for science, math, and humanities, are really trying to focus on specific areas of mastery, track those, see how our teachers are uh, performing and growing, and then provide professional development from there so that we're not you know, wasting the time of teachers who have already mastered these these moves, we're able to push them and provide that extension and or self-initiated, you know, learning time. And but that we are making sure that, you know, we're building the collective knowledge of our educators in the building. And so we'll do a lot of work, you know, between our middle school and our high school to figure out which topics are we going to present inside of our August professional Uh, development time? And then what are the components that we feel, you know, need to be focused on throughout the year? So for example, our math teachers, you know, they have been taking risks and everything that we give them, they're trying to put into practice. And we've created professional development that really honors the fact that as learners, we didn't learn math in a conceptual way. Uh, We were taught the procedure. I always joke around with my teachers. I go, if I ask any of you to teach math right now, um, there'll be a good handful of you that are like, absolutely not. I did it once in school and I'm not doing it again. And so we wanted to be able to provide our teachers with really rich opportunities to dig into the conceptual understanding, to understand, you know, why strategies such as using bar models are so um, impactful, especially for students of color who have been marginalized and don't really see themselves inside of a math classroom or haven't historically seen themselves there. And so just really trying to streamline and think about what's the highest leverage move and for administrators to not be distracted, you know, by the multiple areas that teachers might need to, to grow in, but to sort of, you know, stay steady the course of providing them really rich and deep opportunities so they can build their, their toolboxes and feel, you know, when they, they move on to the next area of professional development, that they really do have the skill, you know, mastered that they had just previously uh, covered. Yeah. So that's a great idea in theory. And so how does that, how does that actually work day to day of, of knowing that they move on to a next skill? Do you have a, a list of those 10 areas from the Danielson framework? And there's a, before you can go on to higher order thinking questions, you need to have scaffolding questions mastered, or before you can go on to focusing on wait time, you need to have higher order thinking questions mastered. Is that how it works or what does that actually look like in your school? Yeah. So it is similar to how it works. You know, the list itself is definitely not something that's concrete. We do want to make sure that we're thinking about the staff that we have in front of us. Um, But for example, academic discourse is something that we focus on a lot. We know that uh, struggling scholars need multiple opportunities for rehearsal. And so we will first 
dig into, you know, understanding why academic discourse is so important and talking about equity of voice in the classroom, not just as, you know, an opportunity for students to discuss, but how that really supports teachers and keeping, you know, the amount of teacher talk down and, and really creating a scholar-centered um, environment. We'll first talk about, you know, how do you create those really rich questions for students and how do we align those questions to the standards? We'll then focus on what are exemplar responses that we want teachers to really think through in terms of the academic vocabulary that they might want to see included or hear included in those responses. When we feel that teachers have, you know, been able to add that to their repertoire, we'll talk about, so what are the structures in which you want academic discourse to happen in the classroom? Uh, We'll start with some easy entry activities such as, you know, uh, turn and talk or partner share and work with our teachers to then build their skills to where they're now engaging in more sophisticated discourse protocols such as concentric circles or, you know, gallery walks, you know, chalk talks. How do you get kids to talk to one another when they can't use their voices and they need to uh, respond in writing? And then, you know, building all the way up to Socratic seminars. So we really want our teachers to be able to have these skills and for their practices to grow on one another. And then that is followed by the instructional leadership team working with teachers to observe um, on a weekly basis where they are in their current professional development track and working with teachers to watch videos of themselves and also videos of their peers that might offer exemplar footage for the various you know, professional development focus that they're on. And then being able to tape themselves um, in order to get feedback from their peers and then also feedback from their coaches. So we want to, one of the things that we initiated was, uh, for example, was we have a, a really large group of kids who need intervention. And so before we ask teachers to take on additional supports in decoding um, and comprehension around reading and basic skill development around math, we ask teachers to go through uh, three to four weeks of training with a math or reading specialist, again, looking at those discrete competencies and building on those, and then for them to take footage of sort of a demonstration lesson in a way. And they were allowed to get feedback from peers, but then we also set out per, uh, specific performance indicators. We wanted to make sure that all of our teachers were effective at teaching the intervention skill they would be working with before they started their work. Um, with students. So it allows us to build their skills inside of the classroom and then also allows us the opportunity to grow their skills before they have to enter into the intervention and small group work um, with students. Yeah. So, so that's really fascinating. And it sounds like you're collecting this huge library of, of teacher video. How do you manage all of that and when teachers watch it and when they have time to watch it and and what that looks like. Let's talk about that video recording and reviewing aspect. Sure. So one of my department heads, uh, my department head for humanities actually had the opportunity to go to a couple of different coaching PDs. And she came back with, you know, this one really great technology piece. It's called a swivel. And that allows us to set up a taping device in the back of classrooms. Teachers wear this you know, sort of honing device and the camera will follow them, but it also picks up audio um, directly from the teachers. In addition to that, it gives us the opportunity to place these audio uh, recorders at small groups so that we can also get the audio input from students as well. And all of these 
videos are stored on our the digital platform that we use, which is Athena. And Athena, it houses all of our videos. It operates similar to a college course blackboard where you can leave posts, you can um, you know, ask questions of the, um, the teacher who uploaded the video, you can post comments. Coaches can have these videos submitted to them through explorations and actually set up you know, performance tasks for, for teachers. You know, I'd like to see um, your instructional read aloud, you know, show me the first 10 minutes of your planning and how you were using data to um, decide which thinking prompts scholars would engage in, you know, and then we can have them then take the actual footage of the instructional read aloud, and then they can sit uh, with their coach and see their practice. They can review any of the comments and feedback from their peers. And then they have the opportunity to also see a sample video of a teacher whose practice is exemplar in our building. And so I think that opportunity to be able for teachers to observe their own practice as observers, you know, not just trying to think about that playback that is going on in their head while they're trying to have a hundred other pieces of information when they're in the classroom has really allowed them to engage in a more reflective process around their practice. And so I, I feel like before when we would engage in coaching, it was a lot of almost the, the coach telling the story of what had happened and the teacher being removed from that and trying to sort of visualize the pieces um, that the coach was putting together. And now the teachers are on an equal playing field. They can see the footage of their classrooms and they've been able to come uh, to the table much more prepared and confident to talk about their practice, where they see themselves growing, uh, where their strengths are and where they need to continue to grow. So what I love about that is that uh, the, the teacher goes from receiving whatever observation data the principal or coach sees and having to just digest that to being able to have a conversation about why the coach or principal would have given a rating and to give their own evidence of why they acted in a certain way in the classroom or asked a certain question. You know, so many of those things that we as principals don't know what's going on in the teacher's head when they're doing mm-hmm. it, you know? And yeah. so I, I, a quick story about that. I was, I was observing a teacher and she was, she was not redirecting the student who was clearly off task and clearly not doing what he was supposed to. And okay. for the whole entire lesson. And so obviously in Danielson's framework, like redirecting is important and having kids participate in what you're doing is important. And so I marked Absolutely. her pretty harshly on that, right? Mm-hmm. She came back later and was like, well, you didn't see what happened two minutes before you walked in to do this observation where he was mm-hmm. way off task and I got him back that far and redirected him during the lesson which you didn't see either because you were looking the other way and I gave him the look and it got him to settle down and you didn't notice that. And, you know, these other two things that were happening. And then afterward, once everybody broke, I went over and talked to him and we talked about how to how to deal with the situation and what he should be doing during that time. And this is a kid who's like super difficult and super challenging. And she went through that process mm-hmm. and was able to explain the reason why she was acting that way. and. And had, uh, you know, had we been recording that and had that been our culture, I think that would have looked a lot different. And that whole conversation would have looked different because the pressure is not so much on the administrator to judge someone as it is uh, on the team to reflect on what's going on. Is that a fair way to summarize that? 
Absolutely. You know, I think it also it helps the administrator to move away, as you had said, from being the judge right. to being able to engage in a conversation and ask questions. Right. I mean, the the likelihood of going in to observe a teacher for a substantial you know, amount of time, um, you know, not just a quick, you know, three to five minute walkthrough and then be able to have a conversation with that teacher in that same day. You're hoping for a pretty, you know, spectacular day in your building, mm-hmm. right? Where no little hiccups come up. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so to put the, the pressure on yourself and the teacher to have to remember everything that happened in that moment, um, it's, it's really unkind mm-hmm. and certainly isn't, you know, we have enough a challenge and pressure in our profession. We don't, we don't need that. And we don't need these conversations, you know, to be contentious because of faulty memory. Yeah. And so I think it just allows us to, to go in and, and ask the question, Oh, I'm not- I noticed this. Are you noticing, you know, what's happening right now in the video? And then it allows you to see there are some teachers who really just aren't aware that, you know, they happen to exhibit a certain habit or you can see, you know, this sort of this tension come to their faces when this happens in the classroom or that they, that they light up, you know, when, when this other particular thing happened in the classroom and how do we get them to create their own examples and non-examples of what is, you know, a strength in their classroom, you know? And, and I also think that in terms of watching the video, we we're we're pushing our teachers every single day to, you know, not overly scaffold to allow kids to productively struggle, to take risks, to create classroom environments where, you know, there isn't judgment, where there is a growth mindset. And so we need to trust that we can put our teachers in those same, you know, positions to engage in that same deep thinking um, around their work. And that doesn't mean it's not a scary position for them to be in. You know, the, when teachers walk in, I'm like, oh, and by the way, we're a school that believes in, you know, peer observation. And we do a lot of our peer observation and a lot of our coaching via video. You get the what? I don't want to be videotaped. I hate the way my voice sounds on video. Right. And it can be really scary. So we, we do, you know, make sure to, you know, create an entry point for our teachers that is really low risk, just engaging in a, a video of their classroom. The first couple of videos um, that they send or to, you know, possibly their co-teacher um, or their mentor. So again, we want them to see this tool is really around professional development and us supporting them in their growth. It, it's not about evaluation. It's about the growth. And that's really powerful for sure. So let's talk a little bit about how often the observations and evaluations and recording are all happening. What does that schedule look like for, you know, a typical teacher? in your school? So I set a really high expectation first for my instructional leadership team. I want to make sure that in addition to observing the teaching and learning that's happening in the building, that first and foremost, our teachers understand that we're present um, and we're available to them. And so daily walkthroughs in and out of classrooms, regardless of who the coach is, regardless of who the supervisor is, regardless of who the department chair is, it's really important for teachers to know that if they have a question, you know, there's someone going to pop into their room probably within that period that they can ask, you know, if they need support, the same thing. And then our informal observations, which are about, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes, I would say those happen once a week, at least from our department heads who serve as coaches for our teachers. Our teachers have weekly coaching meetings. Um, if they're part of an integrated co-teaching team, they'll meet together as a team for that weekly coaching meeting. And the coaching meeting is a debrief of the observation. And it's also a review of any of the data that has been gathered for that week. 
And that's an area um, that we're currently really trying to build the skills of our teachers and to be able to be truly responsive to the data that they see. So I want to make sure that their coaches are supporting them with that work and being able to, you know, to analyze the data before they come to the meeting with the teacher in case that isn't, you know, an area that the teacher has mastered as of yet. Teachers are also provided a weekly lesson plan feedback. And then the video uh, portion of the coaching, that really depends on uh, the teacher and what the teacher's need is. So I would say at minimum, once a month, teachers engage in either taping themselves or their coaches will come in um, to tape so that they can have that sit-down conversation around the, the video observation. In addition to that, I would say at least once a quarter, uh, coaches will set up explorations through Athena, again, in which they can specifically say, we've been working on this you know, skill, whether it's as a department or as an individual co-teaching team or even as an individual teacher. And I'd like to be able to see and track your growth in this way. And so they'll set up these explorations for teachers to be able to submit video of their current practice. And the coaches are really trying to pull from, you know, multiple different areas. Yes, what they're seeing in the classroom. Yes, what the performance of students on various assessments. And, but also the teachers created professional development support plan in which our coaches help teachers to choose one goal. And then teachers have the option of deciding where do they want their practice to go? Um, what do they think is the highest leverage move? And so that process itself is then supported uh, on Tuesdays. We actually release our kids early and teachers have time for professional development. And that'll, that's sort of the anchor of the work that's happening, um, you know, whether it's our professional learning communities, which are digging into scholar data, who also might be watching video footage of lessons that accompany the data that they're looking at. And then also our quarterly data meetings in which our kids take interims and we dig in to the data there and might have the opportunity when action planning for how to reteach specific standards, you know, taping of various strategies so that we can make sure that there's also alignment across our uh, same grade level classes uh, within each department. Yeah, man. So I, I love that there's, there's so much focus on helping teachers improve. It seems like a teacher coming into your school would have to work harder to not get better with all the support that's there. And that's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try our hardest. We, we, um, it's, you know, it makes it that much sadder when, you know, unfortunately a teacher goes, you know, I think we face the same, you know, turnover issues that other charters do, especially being in a, you know, in New York city, um, which has, you know, such a great public district, public Mm -hmm. school system, uh, because we're, we are a public charter. Mm -hmm. It's that much harder. And so we know, you know, we may only have teachers for a couple of years before they decide to have families, um, before they decide to move further away from the city. And so we got to get those teachers really great, really fast, while not feeling like they're completely on their own and without without feeling like they're being asked to do something that they're not then be get, being given the support to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in education, that is so often what we do. We So this is like almost a canonical experience you know i was shown my classroom my first day of teaching and said those are the books over there good luck and then nothing for you know three or four weeks and then oh yeah you need a mentor okay this is your mentor and you guys need you should probably meet and talk and then a couple more weeks would go by and they're like oh here's this mentor paperwork 
that says that I need to meet with you. So I'm going to meet with you. And like, that is the worst way to get help people get better, especially new people into the, into the um, profession. And, you know, thankfully I had natural teaching gifts and so I could survive in that. But, you know, other people, I saw Mm -hmm. them come in and not have that experience at all. So I think that you've set up a really good framework for, for how people could do something like this. So the last question I ask Amanda is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Well, well, thank you uh, <laughs> for acknowledging the system that we use, but then also putting me in the category of transformative principal. Um, that means a lot coming from you, especially having heard, you know, uh, some of the guests that you've had on the show. I, I know what a great group I'm in um, and it's an honor to be on here with you. I would say, yeah, I would say it's to not, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's to forget that the work that's happening in the classroom, you know, is work that we used to do and is the most important work that happens in our building. And so, you know, with that comes rolling up the sleeves and getting in there with teachers and, you know, not being afraid to show them that, you know, every plan we have in theory doesn't always work out either. And we have to, you know, come back to the drawing board and that we're, we're willing to learn with them. If they can see us as partners, the same way we ask them to be partners with our kids in the classroom and their kids in the classroom, I think that really helps teachers to feel supported, to feel valued, and, and to want to push themselves to be that much better uh, for the kids um, that they serve. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're doing is so fantastic, Amanda. If people want to learn more or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. They can reach me at amanda.huza. It's H-U-Z as in zebra A at equalitycharterschool.org. Great. And I'll make sure that people have access to that. Thank you so much, Amanda, for your time. It's been awesome talking with you. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is Jethro. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of Transformative Principle. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I want to remind you, I am going out on my own. So I'm looking for uh, opportunities to help schools implement things that are related to student-driven learning. So if you'd like to work with me, please go to jethrojones.com and you'll be able to enter your information there and we can schedule a chat to talk and figure out how we can help move kids forward and be in control of their own learning. Thanks so much. That's JethroJones.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE.